Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Alaska Cast. Today we have Alyssa Quinton here with us from the Alaska Center. She is the interior organizer and a big community advocate. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. And you are here in Fairbanks with the Alaska Center. What exactly does the Alaska Center do? Yeah, so we are a nonprofit that essentially educates, empowers, and elects Alaskans to. Uh, advocate and stand up for, you know, clean water and energy and healthy communities and also, um, you know, wanting to advocate for, you know, people who champion our values uh, with our elected leaders uh, and making sure that, you know, our youth are, you know, supported and involved throughout the process. So we do a whole bunch of different things across our organization, but really wanting to focus on, you know, uh, a clean and healthy and thriving future for our mm-hmm. state and for our people here. Gotcha. And as interior organizer here in Fairbanks, what 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 does your day to day look like? Uh, my day to day is honestly pretty much whatever the community's got for me. You know, I do a lot of work on uh, clean water initiatives and um, have worked a lot on stand for salmon, for pebble, for non discrimination, for you know basic advocacy and testimonies so you know in all honesty my day-to-day is a lot of a lot of emails but it's also a lot of meetings with community members and organizations and you know trying to figure out you know the best way to you know do these testimonies do these actions these events so lots of emails lots of meetings lots of phone calls but a lot of community as well gotcha and how do you get involved with community organizing and outreach it it seems like a kind of a difficult thing to stumble into Um, was it sort of a gentle did you kind of dip your toes in first or did you dive all the way in uh you know it's kind of hard I honestly think that I started organizing when I was a kid um it really all started when I was in North Star Youth Court of Mediation and I became a youth attorney and then quickly became pretty much everything you could <laughs> in the program. Um, so I've really just been involved since I was a kid. And I, I guess you can kind of say I kind of dived in, um, you know, little by little. Like when it wasn't youth court, it was, you know, volunteering on campaigns. If it wasn't volunteering with campaigns, it was, you know, writing testimonies at the school district. And if it wasn't that, it was helping unions with a rally. And if it wasn't that, then it was an op-ed. So um, it was kind of all all over the place, and I just wanted to be involved in anything and everything that had to deal with uh, advocacy or politics or, like, getting to yell at elected leaders for some reason, you know, for whatever reason, you know, that we were upset. Fantastic. And, uh, I mean, as, as an organization, what is the Alaska Center? Um, what are the programs that um, you guys are putting forward and, and working on right now in, you know, the spring of 2020? Yeah, I would say specifically in the interior um, is definitely Solarized Fairbanks. Uh, We are part of a volunteer coalition with um, several other organizations and community leaders to uh, help this program go along. And that's essentially a community-led solar initiative to bring together neighbors and business owners and congregations um, together to be able to purchase uh, solar PV systems 
uh, at a lower and much more affordable rate. Um, so that's definitely been like our, our big thing, uh, since November last year. Um, other than that, it's, um, you know, we're focusing on, uh, doing a Juno fly-in this March where we are hosting people, um, and partnering with other organizations as well to give the opportunity to people who have never been to Juno to talk to their legislators before to have that chance and um, talk about issues and bills that are, you know, really important to them. Um, and then what else are we doing? You know, I think that's, that's it for spring. <laughs> We've got our auction coming up, so that'll definitely be, uh, be on our radar. Earth Day, you know, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day is coming up, so we'll probably be doing, you know, some things around that. But at least in the interior, it's definitely, you know, solarized and, making sure people who should be in Juno are in Juno. Perfect. Two very worthy programs. And for the folks that don't know what the Solarize program is, it started in Anchorage right through the Alaska Center. Um, and then a year or two after that, it sort of spread into Fairbanks and is just getting started. Uh, what, what does that kind of look like <laughs> here in town? Yeah, so it's a little bit different. Um, you know, the Solarize campaign in Anchorage uh was really piloted by, you know, my past co-worker and there were folks here who saw how successful it was in that second year. You know, it came from like maybe 32 homes the first year to 138 the second year. So they were seeing how, you know, really booming it was and we're thinking of how do we do that in Fairbanks? So we, um, you know, met together with, um, you know, climate or coal climate housing research center, ASAP, um, FCAC, native movement, information insight, Northern center. Um, and then us <laughs> to figure out, you know, what does this look like in Fairbanks? Like knowing our infrastructure is very different here, knowing that energy efficiency is, an, is essentially a must when you live up here, you know, knowing that our neighborhoods aren't structured in the same way. And so we sat for almost a year to figure out how do we make this program um, actually work and actually equitable here? And what are the different things that we want to do? So it looks a little bit different in terms of it's not just, you know, an Alaska Center staff housing it. It's like, you know, seven different organizations <laughs> housing, you know, you know, housing and putting support into this, uh, into this campaign uh, and giving that support to community leaders to organize their neighborhoods and such. Um, and we also really, you know, like I mentioned, made energy efficiency very, like a very good, big component of this. Um, and we're also being very, uh, open to, you know, the structure of these different, uh, regional areas. Like we're not putting boundaries and we're not telling people what to do in terms of where the cutoffs are. We're starting let us, letting people self-designate because we don't have nice, you know, neighborhood associations. We got, you know, road service areas and that's pretty much it. <laughs> so we're being lenient on that. And, you know, so far so good. We have, you know, four, um, communities that are organized out in Goldstream and Esther, College Road and Still Creek. Um, and there has been a lot more interest in other areas. So we're, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how best 
to include everybody this year without strapping those community leaders, you know, uh, their capacity and the installers. Um, but, you know, so far so good. It's the first year and we're really excited to have this much excitement. So it's really exciting to be able to figure out all those, um, you know, all those boundaries and all those uh, next steps together with the community. Yeah, it's really exciting. I keep getting emails of, of people just kind of asking and trying to figure out what, what this program is about. And and the basic idea is, yeah. you know, through bulk purchasing and a rough geographic location, um, you know, it costs the installers less to build um, these solar arrays on people's or near people's houses. Uh, but Fairbanks has taken it mm-hmm. further. It's also about um, energy efficiency and, and sort of retrofits there. For a program like that is there sort of a predefined level of success or does it really depend on you know how the community kind of bands together yeah i would say that it you know it's kind of both you know i think that a clear level of success is you know getting committees formed and that people feel supported and listened to and ultimately um have their solar pv systems installed um but, you know, it also really depends on, you know, how that's done. You know, at every community workshop and presentation, you know, I always lecture them <laughs> and tell them, you know, that this doesn't happen unless you guys want it. Like, you know, you, you know, you don't get solar on your house or near your house. You don't get to select your installer. You don't get to be a part of this process. It's the process doesn't start. And the process starts with you. So when those committees are formed, it really... Um, not only hones in for us, but hones in for them. And they really start to, you know, understand how it feels to be in a community-led initiative because for so so often there's a lot of initiatives that it's just people giving the opportunity. But, you know, we don't want to do that. We want to really instill homeowner empowerment and energy democracy with this campaign to let people know like this is something that you can do that you don't have to be an organizer like me you can be a homeowner you can be a business owner you can band together you know with your other neighbors and you can get solar or you can pretty much like do whatever you need you know together and be able to do great things so at least for me um having people recognize that power within themselves and within you know their their own communities and their own neighborhoods is also a success to me because, you know, the solar, you know, it might not happen this year. It might happen next year, but, you know, to me, it's really about that empowerment piece. And I think that that's the really exciting part about Solarize is that it allows people to, you know, grow that themselves and sort of recognize, Oh yeah. Like, you know, this is definitely something that we can do. And, you know, there's power, there's power in numbers and, you know, you get to meet your neighbors that you probably never talked to, you know, in the 10 years you've been living in your house. So that's a success for me too. Right. That's, that's a wonderful program. Are there any ways for people that aren't homeowners or business owners to, to kind of get involved? Yeah, we have definitely been talking about ways that, you know, renters and leasers have gotten involved. You know, I don't think that we have any solid, answers or plans in terms of how do we do that this year um you know but they have been you know there's people who you know lease their offices or they rent who have been connecting with us and really our next step has been reaching out to 
those property owners, you know, with a list of people who are interested in Solarize and seeing if that is something, you know, that they want to do. So, you know, we're still definitely working through that, but there are some, some steps that we're taking to see, yeah, how do we reach out to people who actually don't own the places that they live and work to make sure that they can benefit in this too. Right. And changing gears a little bit, um, the other program, it sounds like that the Alaska Center is, is really working on this spring is getting people that haven't been um, to Juneau. And that is that, I, I assume, to kind of participate more fully in the in the democratic lawmaking process. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So we, that one, are, you know, partnering with, you know, a couple of different organizations across the state. Um, and essentially what we're we're trying to do is to sort of uh, decentralize that process. A lot of people aren't able to go to Juno, you know, mostly because they don't have the money mm-hmm. and are really limited to public testimonies, to emails, to, you know, having that one chance to like see their elected leader and the representative in the store and maybe trying to talk off their ear. Um, but we also recognize that that's a barrier and, you know, that's a, that's a barrier that we as organizations have the capacity to overcome and to, you know, want to include people that have been working, you know, on issues such as Pebble, on issues such as missing and murdered indigenous women on issues, you know, concerning homelessness. And they've been doing that work. You know, I kind of see it as, you know, not just an opportunity, but our duty to be making sure that those people have been heard and are listened to, and are, you know, being uplifted and elevated, you know, to the people who are making these decisions that are going to impact us. Um, and so really our intention with this fly-in is reaching out to those folks who have been doing that work, uh, who have never had that opportunity and making sure that they have that opportunity um, and that they are able to take full advantage of all and everything that, uh, the capital has to offer. So we are, you know, working really hard to uh, inviting those people and, you know, scheduling their meetings because that's a whole cumbersome task and, you know, just making the process much more easier so that they not only understand what goes into it, but they have that opportunity to have their voices heard and, you know, be think and be connected with other people across the state who you know, are tied into their regional issues and their communities um, and wanting to build those relationships and those connections with those folks as well. Yeah. Do you think there is a an inherent sort of disconnect from people, from lawmakers in Juneau? Um, that, does that distance make a, make a difference between people that live in more rural communities or people that have a harder time to actually get face time with lawmakers, legislators? Yeah, I think, I think that it is. And I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's so much of the distance as it is in terms of, you know, our transportation in the state. If flights were cheaper, if, you know, our road systems were much more expansive and inclusive, I don't think that it, you know, and if people were actually paid enough to, you know, to live and be able to travel as much as they would want and need to, then, you know, I don't see, think that it would be much of a challenge, but, you know, that's, currently the system that we live and you know while I don't necessarily think this is an issue that would be solved by like moving the capital 
Because even then, you know, it's still an issue of, well, what if their legislator isn't really that, uh, that great in terms of connecting with their constituents? What if they don't really listen? So it's really a matter of, you know, getting people to the place where the decisions are made and um, making sure that, you know, they're able to speak and advocate for themselves in the work that they do. But, you know, I, as much as I think that it's a transportation issue, I really also think that it's, um, that it's really about empowerment and mm-hmm. letting people experience and know that this is something that they can do. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's just that they don't, they don't know or that they don't care. And it's really, I, I don't really think that it's that. I think that people just don't know. Like if you've never done it before, it's very hard uh, to know how. It's very, know, it's very hard to know when to start and what to start with and going with people that you know, going with people that you trust and, you know, doing that together alleviates that. Um, going with people that support you and don't want to talk for you, but want you to talk for yourself is really that support that a lot of people, you know, in this work need. You know, I think that's, you know, the only reason why I was able to do the things that I do is because I had people that support, that supported me. I had the resources to go to Juno and, you know, be able to talk to my legislators, but there's a lot of people who don't have that opportunity and they don't have that privilege. So, it's really about, you know, understanding the privilege, you know, that we have as organizations. Like, you know, privilege isn't, you know, just for recognizing. It's it's about sharing that with people who don't have that privilege and making sure that they have, that we're doing everything we can to share that until we live in a system where that's no longer a problem. That's a wonderful response. And kind of in that same vein, um, I was speaking with Amy Galloway recently, and we were lamenting a little bit about the the fact that um, so few people, so few people, locals, um, really vote in local elections. Do you think that empowerment is the key to getting more people involved? Um, and how, how, how do we do that? How do we empower the people here to, to try to speak Um, and be part of their community. Is that also kind of a question of privilege as well? Yeah, absolutely. And that's so great. She was my high school um, civics teacher. Mine too, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I think one of the best things that she taught me um, and that I learned in her class is that, you know, it's about privilege and having people in the community who support you and you know, give you those opportunities when they can. But it's also really about knowledge sharing. I think a really big issue that I see, especially with young voters, is not that they don't care, not that they don't know how, is that they don't know what. Nobody really, I see, there's no organization, there's no agency that is sitting down with people and talking about politics, talking about these, you know, different bills talking about, you know, what our legislators are doing. Mm -hmm. And it's overwhelming to people who, you know, aren't organizers, who aren't Juno heads that, you know, track and know everything that's happening in Juno. And for people who are working every day, for students that are going to classes and they have to worry about their essays, they literally don't have time to sit down and read through a bill and figure out if it's, you know, good or bad for, um, you know, for their community, for, 
you know, their status for whatever they, you know, might be working on or concerned of. And it really takes, you know, people who are in these organizations, who are in these agencies and positions to funnel that information. But even then that can be, you know, really overwhelming. And, you know, in everything that we already have to do, we really have to worry about our capacity and what we really have time to do. So it, I think it's about, you know, knowledge. Do people really know what's going on? And I remember being in college and having professors, you know, tell us, you know, as a young voter, you know, that, oh, we're apathetic because we don't vote and look at, you know, our numbers. And what I've really come to learn is that it's not that we're apathetic, it's that we're tired. And that if a person doesn't know who they're voting for or what they're voting for, they're not going to do it. They're not going to risk that vote. They're not going to take that chance. And what ends up happening is that they leave those those na- those bubbles for that person or that initiative blank, and they vote for the people that they do know, and they vote for the things that they do understand. So you know, I think it's uh, I think it's kind of like a dual issue is that there's a there's a clear gap in terms of how that knowledge is shared and who is sharing it, and there's a really clear gap in how we're engaging with voters across the board and what information they're getting. You know, as much as the division of elections work, the voter booklet is not enough to convince a person or to educate a person about if this is something that they want to vote for. It's a really good resource for people to, you know, get their feet wet and know it's on the ballot and practice voting if that's what they need to do. But really what I see is that we need to have more conversations about politics. We need to be talking to our friends and our parents and our teachers. And like schools are a wonderful place to be doing that, you know, to really have those conversations. And even if people disagree, that's okay. That we're meant to do that. That's supposed to happen. That means we're thinking. That means we're coming from different places and we're wanting to understand each other, right? So we need to have more conversations. And that's definitely something that I try to do in my work. It's definitely something that, you know, Alaska Center, you know, does all the time, especially with our C3 work, um, is having those honest, genuine conversations about what our values are and, you know, who champions those values in elections and what bills or initiatives or resolutions are going to advance those values. Do you think that technology can help the conversation or does it muddle up the message? I think it can definitely help. And I think that it's um, really a question of where people are, you know, getting that information. Um, I see that technology is becoming less and less of a barrier in terms of, you know, everybody have, you know, most everybody having a phone and most people being able to access a computer, you know, whether it's private or public. Um, but I, I, where I see the muddiness coming is like, where, where do you go? Who can you trust? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that there are really good sites and that there's really good resources for people. And it's a matter of just letting people know, like, these are the resources that you can trust. These are the resources, you know, that you can go to if you want to get more information on this bill. Like I remember, you know, talking to folks about Stanford salmon and everybody in the interior being really confused because you had Stanford, Alaska, and Stanford Salmon right in the same city, and it was a battlefield. And people were like, what is going on? And, you know, obviously, like, I'm biased. Like, I'm the organizer here, and I'm working on Stanford Salmon. 
And I remember phone banking and being like, you know what? Go to Ballotpedia. They have a really good article about Stand for Salmon and who wrote it, where it comes from, what it does. If you want an unbiased source that's not written from my folks, that ain't written from Stand for Alaska, but just tells you what it is and what it does and even has a copy to the initiative, that's a really good resource to go to. And it really takes, you know, us organizers and other community leaders to know those resources too. And and making sure that we're incorporating that knowledge and sharing that knowledge and sort of bringing that, you know, that sort of barrier down uh, and overcoming that. So I think, I think it has definitely been useful. And it's a, it's a really good question of like, how do we unmuddy the gap of knowing where to go and who to trust? Right. It's a, you know, a a million dollar question or or more. There, there seems to be um, even locally and nationally and on a statewide level, there seems to be two or three stories of the same thing happening. Um, and mm-hmm. there's a there's a theory that I've heard floated around that just some people just disconnect from the process because they're they're getting too much information and you know it's it's difficult to muddle through and figure out what um, the correct or what what they should actually believe in. Yeah, looking ahead, kind of into the future in. Alaska, what do you think are the challenges that are coming up? I almost said coming up the pipeline, but that'd be a little too on the nose. <laughs> you know, I see, I worry really about a lot of the extractive projects that are happening, you know, unconsensually. Um, and I think about my place in that movement and, you know, how my voice can be helpful, but how it can also be damaging. Um, you know, because I, you know, my parents are immigrants here, you know, we're not Dene, we're not, you know, Alaskan Native, and it feels very tough to be fighting against these extractive projects, you know, saying that it's really not okay to be placing these communities in poverty for 300 years, and then turning around and, and saying that, you know, Pebble Mine is going to provide, you know, all of these jobs and all of this economic opportunity. And it's like, well, yeah, because you took everything else away. <laughs> so it's a, it's really tough to be able to, you know, recognize, you know, my identity and recognize that I'm not from here and wanting to be a supporting voice in that continual work of, saying, well, you know, it's not really about extraction. It's about development. Like we want development and development to me doesn't look like extraction. It, it looks like infrastructure. It looks like fixing that and making sure that our roads are not sinking and not crumbling and not flooding all the time. It, you know, making sure that our villages are not sinking into the literal ocean <laughs> or houses sinking into the ground from permafrost melt or, losing homes because our state didn't prepare for these increasingly dangerous and larger forest fires, you know, from not being able to really afford these infrastructural costs because the federal government cuts our infrastructure budget because our air quality is so bad. You know, those are the things that really really worry me and 
the lack of movement in terms of our legislator of our legislature and you know struggling to pass policies and support community initiatives that have been taking initiatives in terms of you know their own energy sources in terms of their own funding you know in terms of their own relocation and just a lack of movement and yes we have a lot of allies and we have a lot of you know great people in the legislature but you know at the same time it's like we can't do this alone like we elected you so you would be helping us not asking us where the money is going to come from like that's that's your job to figure out and so it really worries me but I also have you know it's not really to be optimistic but I have faith you know I look at the people who live in this place and I see the people who have been in this fight for much longer than I've been alive and it gives me hope that even though we don't have all of the answers we will figure it out we always have and you know that's why we're right here right now is because we've always figured it out so as much as it worries me it also drives me to figure out those answers as well Alyssa quinton she's the interior organizer for the alaska center Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on yeah thanks for having me the alaska cat.